0: Is Living Catholic with Father Don Wolf. Living Catholic is a fresh look at issues confronting each of us today. This show deals with living out the Catholic faith, what that means for Catholics, as well as the impact on the rest of society. You certainly don't have to be Catholic to enjoy this show. And now, your host, Father Don Wolf. Welcome, Oklahoma, to Living Catholic. I'm Father Don Wolf, pastor at Sacred Heart Parish and rector of the Shrine of Blessed Stanley Rother. And as we are approaching Christmas, it's time for our annual Christmas story. So we begin. Snow. The flakes bounced out against the window as the light islands outside lit up the falling streaks, swirling in the wind. And because the window looked out onto the airport taxiways and across to the international terminal, a light in the night, the intensity of the snowstorm was highlighted. It looked like it would go on forever. But it was Chicago. It's not like it was unexpected. If it had been the terminal in Atlanta or Dallas, it would be a big story, some new tile to place in the mosaic of proof about climate change or global catastrophe. But it was O'Hare. Everyone in the world knew that snow in December was about as normal as the Cubs collapse in August. The terminal was full of people, each watching the snow come down all of them wondering where the wreck of their travel plans would leave them on the next day. I was there, trying to get home, just like everybody else. I'd gone to a meeting in Indianapolis as part of the planning for the big Eucharistic Congress coming up in July, a year from now, and was trying to get home. The steering committee had insisted I come up for an emergency meeting on the 21st so that we could make the adjustments we needed before the first of the year so all of the proper information could go out at Christmas time. The 21st of December. That's when they wanted me to come up. Against my better judgment, I flew up on Sunday evening and sat through two days of plans and revisions and then stayed an extra day with the implementation committee to make sure our communications were all set in place. My plan evolved into flying out on the morning of Christmas Eve to be home in time for the late masses. But it was December. The planes changed in Chicago and it was snowing hard. So what do you do when there's nothing you can do? The airlines were holding back from canceling anything, even though we were hours behind schedule already. My flight was from Chicago to home, so if we could have taken off, we could have made it directly. But we had to take off, and the prospect of that happening was fading about as quickly as the appeal of the pizza slices at the Wolfgang Puck counter. As the afternoon wore on into the evening, it looked to be certain we were going to see Christmas in... Sitting in the terminal. I called back to the parish where the weather was cool and clean to let them know that the associate was going to have to have the masses, at least on Christmas Eve. It bit into my sense of responsibility that I wasn't going to be there to greet the regulars on this great feast day, but what's done is done. My fretting about it wouldn't matter any. 25 years ago, I could have called up the parish nearest the airport here or gotten on the L and gone into the city to the cathedral. And they would have put me up in the rectory there overnight and even invited me to concelebrate the midnight mass. All it would have taken was to tell them I was a priest stuck in town and the door would have been opened. But not these days, with letters of suitability and permission from one bishop to another required for everything. Now I'd be about as welcome in the cathedral office as I would have been at the local FBI annex. It was going to be the United Terminal where I was going to spend my Christmas Eve provided there wasn't some sudden, miraculous break in the weather that would put me on my way. I looked out. It was still snowing, hard. So I took out my breviary and sat down in the waiting area, turned to the ribbon set for evening prayer, and began. It was about 7 p.m. It was going to be a long evening. Father, got a minute? This came from a young man. I'm guessing he was about 25, dressed in the studied comfort of nice, casual probably heading home for Christmas. He didn't look troubled, but he certainly was anxious. Sure, have a seat, I said. When you travel dressed in a Roman collar, you become the go-to companion for anybody who wants to talk. I was once stopped at a urinal in an airport bathroom by a guy who said, standing next to me, Father, could I talk to you? At that moment, I was the one to say, in a minute. The young man sat down next to me. Father, I don't mean mean to bother you, but I, I don't know who else to talk to. So what's up, I said. I'm from a ways west of Fort Worth, and I'm heading back home for the holidays. I had planned to be home yesterday, but I changed my plans at the last minute to today, and now it looks like I'll be lucky to get there even by tomorrow. I can't seem to make anything work out for me these days. My name's Kevin, by the way. Well, Kevin, it sounds like you're dealing with some major regret, and it sounds like it's a lot larger than missing Christmas Eve at home. I've learned a lot traveling with my priest friends. I'm usually at ease letting people talk their way into whatever they need to say, having them wander into the territory they really want to explore. But my good friend, Father Bill, when people talk to him, he drills right down to where their concerns are. It often disarms them because they want to soften things up before they get to the heart of their unease. But having me say what they can't right out loud helps them to focus and get to what they need to say. I've seen him do it over and over, and it works. So I've taken to doing it for myself. Well, Father, you're right. Uh, I've been in Chicago for about a year and a half working at one of the big law firms here. I have an apartment downtown, and I've made some friends here. It's been okay living here. I went to UT out of high school and then on to law school at Notre Dame. My buddies and I came to Chicago a lot when we were in school, and and from the beginning, I wanted to come here to work when I got out. So when I finished and passed the bar and then got hired, I felt like everything was falling into place. I got just about everything I had ever thought about. I moved up here, got to work, found me a place, and pretty much got started. It's been hectic. But what's the problem? I asked. There are ages of crisis and decisions at every man's life. They usually cluster around the moments when some distinction has to be made. At 15, you have to decide whether you're going to be like your parents or different than them. At 20, you have to decide where your life is going to take you. And at 25, you have to decide if your life is going to sustain you. It sounded like Kevin was at one of those crossroads. I decided to become a lawyer when I used to watch Law & Order on TV, he said. I was in the 10th grade. There didn't seem to be anything more important than what those guys were doing. I dreamed about it all through the rest of high school and started college with that in mind. I did pretty well in school and got really lucky to land at Notre Dame. It was tough on my parents, but I was able to get some student loans and, well, it all worked out for me. The truth of the matter is that things have always worked out pretty well for me. I did okay in high school and went to UT, but it wasn't that tough to get in. I started out in economics, but I wasn't all that interested in all the math that it took. So after two years, I went ahead and changed my major to history. But I'd already done enough courses that I could get a minor in math, which I guess looks good on your application. Really, as long as you do well on the LSAT, nobody really looks at your transcript very closely. So I mostly took the courses that looked interesting, especially in the last year. School, for me, was a pretty fun time. Sure, I did plenty of stupid stuff with some of the guys I knew, and a couple of the girls I got to know seemed like they were more interested in what they might have picked up from some of the porn videos going around than what we were taught in Sunday school. But I got through all of that without any problems. I honestly don't know how I got into Notre Dame. There are piles of applications from all over. As far as it goes, I was just one more Texas guy applying. Maybe somebody on the application board saw my home address and decided there wasn't anyone from the, in the law school from the Permian Basin, and his idea of diversity was geographical or maybe geological, so he helped me slip in. At any rate, I ended up in South Bend rather than back in Austin or in Norman or, or I don't know, West Lafayette. Things just worked out for me. But here's the deal. I'm working for this law firm, and I hate it. I mean... I'm doing all the stuff a young a young lawyer's supposed to do, and I can't stand it. It's not because it's picayune and detailed and the guys are cutthroat. They're not, really. Most of them are guys just doing their stuff and getting along. But what we're doing, I just can't get into. I call some of the other guys I was in school with, and they're all excited about what they're doing in their firms. Some of them are the guys who went to work with the DAs, like the ones on Law & Order. But I can't get excited about what they're doing, either. I I just don't think I'm cut out for this. After all this time and money and investment, I don't think I can be a lawyer. But what am I going to do? And, and don't say pray more, because I've been praying. I haven't heard any message about where to go or what to do. All I know is I can't keep this up. When I drive around Chicago or I'm on my way to work, I envy the guys who are trimming trees in Lincoln Park or the ones pouring concrete on the sidewalks on Ashland Avenue. I look over there and figure that at least they don't have to go sit at a desk and go over a contract word for word from 9.30 to 11.30 today. I'm on my way home, and when I get there, I have to tell Mom and Dad that I've got everything I wanted, and I don't like any of it. They have no idea. No. I haven't said a thing to them about any of this. As far as they know, I'm living the high life in the Windy City and I've pretty much not told, any, not told them anything different. Okay, so you're unhappy with your life right now. What are you, 25 years old? Yeah, well, I turned 26 last month. When I think about that, it sounds kind of pathetic. Pathetic? Why is that? Well, I mean, Dwight Eisenhower was being proposed for a general when he was 25. Warren Buffett was in the middle of his first million Sandra Day O'Connor was impressing the future governor of California when she was my age. And I'm, I'm looking out my window, envying the guys raking up the leaves in the park. I'd say that's pretty pathetic. Well, I don't know. I guess it depends on your yardstick. You know, Ignatius of Loyola was still trying to get his leg fixed when he was 26 and St. Augustine was still trying to decide if he was going to be a Christian or not when he was your age, and Admiral Nimitz had just grounded his ship as part of his first assignment, and he was thinking he'd be drummed out of the Navy at the court-martial he was assigned to. You know, there might be some hope for you. People can be pretty hard on themselves, especially young men. But what am I going to do? What are my parents going to do? Well, let's look at you right now. The first thing we believe is that God does direct us, and God directs our history. So let's think that the unease you feel right now might actually be God's own message to you. You've tasted what this life is like, and you don't like it? I'd say that's a pretty good lesson. Let's say it's the first lesson to learn. Now that you've learned it, what other lesson is there for you? What else does God have in mind for you? I wanted to tell him that he was poised to be the per- he was poised to be in the perfect position to begin his life but he wasn't where he could hear that yet it was time to do a little more clearing off like the snow on the runways until you get down to the concrete none of the planes are going to take off that's just it god hasn't spoken to me i haven't gotten some message about what i'm supposed to do there was a guy i met once at the student center in austin who was going to the seminary when he got out of school. He was all set to begin just after he graduated. I thought it was cool that he was going to the priesthood, but I thought the coolest thing was that when I asked him why, he said, because God was calling. I thought that was great. It must be great to be called like that and to know it. That's what I think about now, to know. I wish I had a calling from God. I wish I knew. I'm glad you brought that up, Kevin. Knowing you're called is a blessing. Of course, most of the time, you find out you were called by looking back over your shoulder and realizing that all of that confusion you went through and all those different voices you heard, that was when God was calling. From time to time, from time, to time God does call, and it's as loud and direct as it was when St. Paul was knocked down on his way to Damascus. But let's turn it around. What if God has been calling you? Have you been pulled in one direction over another? If you could say anything about what you really want to do, apart from escape from the debt and the job and the expectations you have now, what would that be? You can tell me. I heard God's call when my girlfriend told me I ought to go to the seminary. God can call in the oddest way, you know. That was true for me. God can call in the wildest ways that we can imagine. Look, I don't really want to pour concrete or roof houses. I don't want to shuffle papers all day, though, either. I want to, uh, I want, I, I don't know, I want to help people. You know, you know what I really think I should do? I should be a teacher. I, I think I should really become a high school teacher, a history and math teacher. There, there, I said it. I have a law degree from a tier two school and a job at a tier one law firm and I want to teach pre-calc and U.S. history. It's crazy, I know. I I haven't said that to anybody. And you know, most of the people I know from school would think better of me if I told them I was going to transition to being a woman to be known as Keeley, rather than if I was going to do this. I'm not crazy, am I? Well, I don't know if you're crazy. That's a whole other question. But tell me, how does thinking about that, about becoming a teacher, how does that make you feel? Does it make you happy? Or are you just relieved to have some pathway out of your office? Kevin had slumped down and put his hand in his head, put his head in his hands and his elbows on his knees. He looked like he'd just heard he lost a major bet on the Super Bowl. I dunno, he said. I've gone through so many ups and downs, I don't know what I really feel anymore. I think about it and decide it's what I'm going to do, and and I feel excited and Then I think about student debt and what my parents say about me being a lawyer, and then I get depressed. And I go to church sometimes and pray, and there's a glimmer of maybe thinking I'm doing the right thing, and and then that goes away. It's all so confusing. And besides all that, what am I really doing here? How could I spend all this time and all this money going in this one direction, only to have everything pulled out from under me? Doesn't what I felt and what I worked for count for something on its own? If God really wants me to do this, why all this other stuff? Why wouldn't, have, why wouldn't it have been more clear if it's real five years ago? Now I'm wandering around with no clear direction at all. Well, I don't know, Kevin. Sounds like you've gotten some pretty clear direction. Why not think of where you've been? It counts for something. Maybe you could never have been free enough to give yourself to being a teacher Until you were satisfied, you received enough to give away. Besides, every person's story is all prelude. At the moment you find out you need to make a decision, it's certainly that way with you. Father, that sounds like you're just comforting me. Everything's fine up to now isn't very helpful advice. It's the from now on I'm worried about. What am I going to do? What what are my folks going to think? The hardest obstacle to surmount is the decision to live your own life. Every person on the planet is is anxious to have his own life until he's faced with making it his own. When he's looking at the prospect of his self-creation and is faced with jumping into the maw of his actual life for himself at that moment, every other person and any other thought is an obstacle. Most people would rather be dragged to a firing squad and pay the ultimate price— than to have to make a decision to drag himself away from what other people say about him and would rather find a pebble to trip over rather than an unapproved step. And that was Kevin. Fortunately, we were in the right circumstances for him. Kevin, take a look at the snow outside. I should have listened to my good sense and booked the flight going out last night, but I wanted to be sure our business got done before I had to rush off to the airport and maybe worry about missing the flight. Now I'm stuck here just like you. I should have done it differently, but I didn't. So here we are together. And when I get up most mornings, I think back to yesterday and wonder if I could have done it differently. Sometimes I wake up and wonder if I shouldn't have gone ahead and married that girl for my chemistry class my first year in college. But I didn't. I took my path, the one I was led to. It's what we all do. We can't go back to where we started as if it were an option. There, there are no do-overs. We live life face first, and we bang into the barriers of life with our nose first. And there's no other way to live. This is it. And now, because of what we decide, we're here waiting for this snowstorm to pass. We're waiting on God. You're waiting on God to give you a message. It seems to me he's written it out loud and clear. It's like the angels to the shepherds on Christmas night. Everybody else who knew what they wanted and knew what God had decided, they were in bed with the windows closed and the doors barred. The shepherds were out in the fields keeping the wolves away. So they heard what the angel said. Apparently, nobody else did. Why not consider yourself a Christmas shepherd? God shouts in all kinds of ways, even through the snow. Isn't there someone who can tell me for sure? He said, couldn't I get someone to let me know finally that it's the right thing? Kevin was resisting. He knew I'd said something that was true. And then he said, Father, there's this girl I know. I'm not sure what she's going to think about me changing things. Kevin had heard what he needed to hear. We talked for a few more minutes. I said a prayer over him, and he got up and moved on down the terminal. These kinds of moments, they're always temporary. I have no more idea what my words contributed to his life than if he had remained a stranger and I had sprinkled him with holy water as he walked by with his ticket out. But the gifts you give on Christmas Eve count in the giving. Even if you don't know how they'll be received, they're worth giving. I got up for a minute to stretch my legs. I went over to the window to watch the snow fall. I opened up my breviary again and began with the refrain, He comes in splendor, the King, who is our peace. The whole world longs to see him. Amen to that, I say. Amen to that. Back in just a moment. in verse, a poem today called Long Winter's Day. Cold as life in this season is the reason that we suffer. We shiver and burr and shake, make freezings buffer. So we need not explain or complain one to another why such things we undergo just know. It's what we'd druther. Because now tis the time to whine is counter to all. We could complain, you know, let flow the tears and cries and calls. But it's better all to enjoy. It's our ploy to survive and endure as we flip the calendar ages as they age us with their lure. That's Long Winter's Day. Christmas is upon us. It is uh, an invitation for everyone to have the opportunity to, to uh, worship and to um, attend Mass at uh, your parish. Be sure and look on their website to see what the Mass times are for this year. I hope that in the year to come that we can all um, be together again and I look forward to being with you. Living Catholic is a production of Oklahoma Catholic Radio. To learn more, visit okcr.org.